That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By, powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By. Denver Sports is your home for the most Nuggets content. Now here's your host, Zach By. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate you spending a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to another victory for the Denver Nuggets, this time in New Orleans by a singular point. If you shut this one off, maybe at the, uh, yeah, I don't know, midway of the third, you would have thought this was academic. It did not turn out that way as a 19. 19- point second half lead evaporated to nothing and it looked like uh, this game was actually going to hang in the balance uh it uh turned out to be okay because uh the nuggets have a top two greatest player in the world um maybe he's one on, on on a lot of nights he's one some nights he's two and the guy who i have um flip-flopped with him depending on the night is the guy that the nuggets will actually see on wednesday evening in Milwaukee, and that's Giannis Antetokounmpo. But that's a, a conversation or debate, um, you know, number one in the league. Like, Jokic is going to win MVP. It's going to be his third in a row. Giannis, I've seen do it at the highest level, um, on the biggest stage, win champ, win a championship. Um, I thought, thought that he would have won another one last year if Chris Middleton were healthy. But uh, it's kind of semantics when you get to the highest, the peak of a sport, um, the way that Jokic and Giannis are at. And there's some other guys, too, of course. Um, But Jokic continues to separate himself from the field in the MVP race. And on Tuesday night in New Orleans, second night of, uh, well, no, it would be the second game in three nights. And then Wednesday night will be the third in four nights and the second night of a back-to-back. That game is going to actually take place in a couple hours from now. Guys, at the time of recording, it's um, almost 2.30 in the afternoon. Just wrapped up my three-hour radio show. It's been a very busy couple days uh, for me. Uh, b- both at work and at home. I won't bore you with the details. So the shelf life on this podcast is not going to be great, but I do want to talk about a couple things um, that are totally um, separate from what will happen on Wednesday night in Milwaukee uh, that I think will, will be relevant here uh, for the next few days moving forward. Um, real quick, just a couple uh, notes from the game itself. And, and actually, I, I want to um, address one thing uh, before we start talking about the game and um, a trade conversation that's happening um, here in Denver with Bones Highland. I'm going to get to all that here shortly. Um, but I want to address, because we have not recorded since um, some terrible and tragic news came out over the weekend. Uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s brother, Corbin Porter, who um, I've called his games uh, at DU, uh, right down the road from where I'm recording right now. Um, by all accounts, um, the folks at um, DU said that he was a, a really a really great kid. And I'm not just making that up. They I asked, you know, um, and he was involved in a, uh, a tragic accident on Saturday night where um, in the wee hours of the morning, sounds like he ran a red light, uh, struck someone with his car. Fatality. It's just an, it's just an awful story. Um, Michael Porter Jr. has not played uh, since then. And I just, um, first of all, I'd, it'd be weird if I just didn't address it. Um, this is a really, really, really serious thing, not just for um, Corbin Porter, but Michael, obviously his brother, and they are very close. In the games that I called uh, of Corbin, Michael was right there, you know, sitting underneath the basket watching his brother. They are very tight. Uh, I would imagine that um, Corbin knows a lot of these Denver Nuggets, and you just don't know how this could affect um, someone as a person. I'm not even talking about basketball. Like, that's so secondary. 
Um, we we just don't know. Uh, we don't know all the details uh, of the incident itself, but we know enough to know that it's very, very ugly. And this is all according to the Denver police. Um, so we're just going to continue to track it, but with great caution and uh, from afar um, and with great sympathy um, for the victim first and foremost. Um, and then you just don't know how this could disrupt someone's life. This is uh, of the utmost serious uh, incident, and I just feel horrible for all parties involved. Um, so we're going to leave it there for now, but ad- addressing the, uh, the the elephant in the room um, within the franchise right now. I mean, this is, this is a very big deal, this incident. So um, we're going to leave that where it lies, though, uh, and continue on basketball. And we'll circle back with any, um, any significant update, and I don't even know what that looks like right now. Um, but I'm sure we'll be re- revisiting it at a certain point in time because that story is not one that uh, is going away anytime soon. Uh, okay, let's talk about the game itself. That, to me, on Tuesday evening, that victory in New Orleans was actually a low-key W for Denver. New Orleans has been a pesky team that has given the Nuggets real problems in the past and is sitting at the number 4 seed and is currently, after the Denver win, uh, now eight games behind the Denver Nuggets. Now, anything can happen. We're still in January, but... But barring a catastrophic disaster uh, in Denver, this should be um, this should be largely uh, mathematic here moving forward. That's a big that's a big gap uh, to make up, and I don't foresee just this you know Nuggets train coming totally off the tracks. This is a team that's now twenty games above five hundred before the All Star break. That's really hard to do. There's only one other team in the entire sport that can boast that, and that's the Boston Celtics on the eastern side who have one more win than Denver does. So you're talking like, I am expecting any day now. Um, and, and by the way, the Celtics coming off a loss in Miami on Tuesday night as well on TNT. Um, I, I, I am expecting at a certain point in time the Nuggets to have the same title odds as Boston. We'll see if that prediction comes to fruition. Boston's number two. Nuggets are number, uh, or excuse me, Boston's number one. Nuggets are number two. Nuggets are favored to come out of the West by a significant margin. Um, and we're just talking about the MVP briefly in passing. Jokic is now minus 140. We've been kind of giving the updates here um, every time we sign on the Mile High Hoops podcast. And this thing has dropped and it is now fallen through zero and it's now minus money. Minus money means that you now have to fork up more. Um, more money to earn back at a lesser yield. So minus 140, you now have to bet $140 to win 100 as opposed to this time last week when he would say plus 140 and you bet 100 bucks and you would win mine, uh, win 140 So it's crossed through like a very, very important threshold, and he is now running away from the rest of the field. So, again, if Jokic doesn't get hurt and barring something – Again, unforeseen that I can't even come up with on the top of my head. As long as he doesn't get hurt, um, Jokic is going to, I believe, continue to uh, blaze that MVP trail and win it for a third straight year for the first time since uh, Larry Bird in the early to mid-1980s. Jokic is averaging 25 points, 11 rebounds, 9.9 assists. I went to math class growing up. You round that up to 10. Jokic is now averaging a triple-double, and it was kind of coincidental that on Tuesday night in New Orleans, you know what he put up? 25, 11, and 10. His exact season average in the simplest form 
in New Orleans uh, in 36 minutes on Tuesday night in a win where they don't obviously don't win without Jokic. Hit a massive shot down the stretch um, uh, to to secure the lead. Had a massive block down the stretch to also secure the lead. And um, he is the goat. I mean, I again we're running out of ways to frame this. Jokic now four straight triple doubles. Okay, four straight triple doubles, all while shooting 60 percent or more. It's it's the second uh, longest stretch of that kind uh, in the history of the game we love, and Jokic now has one single game this season where he shot under 50 percent. That is earlier in the month of October uh, against the Utah Jazz, where Jokic went three for 10 with uh, 12 points. Um, yeah, it was 12 points, 10 rebounds, six assists, but he was 30% from the field. Other than that, every single time, this is a game based off failure, guys. And the game of basketball doesn't get uh, framed that way enough, in my humble opinion. We talk about golf being like a game of failure. Baseball, in particular, you know, if you hit, you know, 350, you're doing amazing. Well, that means you're you're failing, you know, 45% of the time. But you're doing great because it's really stinking hard to hit a curveball that's coming 94 miles per hour. Basketball doesn't get talked enough about in that same vein where the greatest players of all time still miss more shots than they make, right? So, like Michael Jordan, just use he Michael missed more than he made. He's the GOAT, right? Like, so for Jokic to be this far into an NBA season and be leading the MVP race while averaging a triple-double – and have every single game outside of one measly game in October where he's shooting 50% or better is like a miracle. But somehow it's not with Jokic. Somehow it's turned into expectation, which is just insane. But these are expectations that he has created for his own self. We just simply react to it. So absolutely crazy. In New Orleans on Tuesday night, he was 11 of 15 from the field, but two of those misses were from three. And by the way, he made two threes, shot 50% from three in New Orleans on Tuesday night. So he is a miracle worker. There is no question about it. He's a blast. He's so fun. And um, yeah, here we go. Uh, Here we stink and go. Um, I thought the game on Tuesday night was decided smack dab in the middle of the second quarter where I believe it was um, Jamal Murray playing with the second group, and it was uh, Christian Brown, it was uh, Zeke Naji, who I thought played really well in the first half, continues to be uh, relentless on the offensive glass, All right, had uh, three offensive rebounds in New Orleans on Tuesday night. Uh, but it was, it was Jamal, it was Christian Brown, it was uh, Zeke Naji, it was Vlako Chanchar, and it was Jeff Green. So you're looking at like a bigger, more sizey matchup, they looked good on switches, played really good defense. They had it going offensively, and it was a 23-7 to run. And in a game that you win 99-98, that's the game right there. In about a five-minute span, in the middle of that second stanza, a 23-7 to run ballooned the Nuggets' lead at the time to 53-35. to So by the time that New Orleans is surging back and Jose Alvarado continues to be like freaking, for a guy that averages nine points, it feels like he averages 19 against uh, the Nuggets. He had the 38-point game. I think he hit eight threes the last time they saw New Orleans. And there he was, like, being the life vest for um, a drowning Pelicans team. 
and he pours in 17 points, but it's how they came, right? It was in a big run. Jose Alvarado is like the Shea Gildress Alexander of the Pelicans. They just find a way to kill the Nuggets. Um, but it didn't cost them because they built up that lead there in the second quarter. So uh, you can react to whatever you want during the course of this game. That was the five-minute stretch for me uh, that defined the game itself. Um, a couple uh, thoughts about Jamal Murray, who I thought played well, 25 points, was um, a uh, plus six when he was out there on 11 of 21 shooting. So efficient, made three threes, played a whopping 40 minutes, uh, which is why I don't believe you'll see him on Wednesday night. That game in a couple hours from now, uh, we'll see how that uh, prediction ages. But I thought Jamal Murray was really good. And and there was three things that I point to from just a um, – uh, a getting back to the same level of athlete he was before the injury. It was three different dunks, okay? Three different dunks, all right? And this is exploding we're talking about. One, uh, not many times you see Jamal Murray dunk off a drop step, but Jokic had the defense in a pickle and confused and puzzled, and he dumps it off to Murray there in that first half, and it was a drop step dunk. Big deal? Not really, but I just made a note of it. Uh, from an explosion standpoint, and there was no hesitation with it. But these next two um, plays, these next two dunks, I thought uh, are more telling and indicative to Jamal Murray's arc of getting back uh, from a, a physical performance standpoint. He had a lob in transition from Contavious Caldwell Pope that he not only caught with two hands, all right, but he cocked back in the air. There was enough wiggle room to cock that thing back. It was cockback season for Jamal, okay? Cockback energy. You got to have some uh, fluidity in the air and some wiggle room to be able to do that. So he didn't just squeak it over the rim. I mean, it was a big-time dunk. I'm like, okay, I have not seen that version of that guy often this season, nor did I expect it, but it was welcomed when I did see it. And then there was another even more low-key dunk, when in the second half, he's on the breakaway, he just got out in front of the field. But And there's a defender right on his uh, rear end. I mean, he's like a foot behind him. I forget who it was. And Jamal went up and tried to dunk it, and he did dunk it. Most times in that situation, there's like a sliver of, of tentative nature um, in, in you as just a player because that guy is right on your heels. And maybe you use the rim as a protectant. Maybe you, you know, do a layup on the left side of the rim coming from the right side or vice versa or whatever. Um, but he didn't even think about it. There wasn't there wasn't a hitch in his step at all. He just went up and dunked it. So he wasn't worried about the guy behind him um, possibly making a play in the air. And that's what I'm talking about. Not getting your shot blocked, but taking off in the air while another human being is trying to challenge you. It just leaves you in a vulnerable um, moment, like mid-flight. And you're coming back from a serious injury. The fact that he didn't think about it and didn't have a hitch, it was one of these low-key things where I just, again, made a note of. So if any of those one things, uh, one uh, plays happen unto its own, like on an island, and I didn't see the other two, probably wouldn't mention it, but all three of those things together at different moments, I was just like, okay, this guy is really, really working his way back uh, from that physical standpoint, and that's um, that's exciting. That's exciting to see. Okay, um, what else here? Um, oh, the um, the lack of um, being on the same page at certain points in that fourth quarter between Jamal and Jokic. It was two different Aaron passes. Um, between the two of those guys that just that caused turnovers and could have cost the Nuggets the game. Thankfully enough, offensively, their two-man game continues to be just some of the best in the entire sport, uh, and that came up in spades down the stretch and eventually uh, leads to the Nuggets 
victory. Uh, Mention Zeke. Just going through the notes here on my phone. That is mostly it on actually game notes that I want to react to. Oh, I thought Christian Brown was really good in his 20 minutes. Um, again, if you're just looking at the box score and didn't watch the game, nothing's really going to jump off uh, uh, the, the the page to you. Um, but I thought if you you're watching that game, you see his impact. He once again had one of these closeout um, uh, closeouts on the perimeter where he blocks a shot and immediately takes off down the floor. Um, I feel like we've seen that like five or six times this season. That's un- that's an unusual play, right? To be blocking a, a shot at the perimeter in the first place, but also just instinctively sprinting down the floor and the ball coming back for you to finish at the rim. Kind of a cool little play, and it's turning into like a a little, um, you know, low-key, um, I don't know, just unique little sequence that he's done repeatedly now that I'll keep my eye on here moving forward. Um, okay. I thought that was an important win. You say, wait, how is that an important win? And why? What what made it important? It's a loss to Oklahoma City. And who you have coming up? You lose that game in your own barn, 101-99 over the weekend. That was a Sunday evening. Uh, the, the world was mostly watching um, the NFL playoff games. My focus was divided uh, between the two because uh, I love my uh, NFL football, obviously. But the, the free throws cost Denver. You lose a game that you're supposed to win. And... Now you go to uh, New Orleans, a team that's been pesky, and I don't care who played and who didn't. Like the fact that Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson didn't play, like I, I really don't care. Why? I talked about a basketball team for two seasons that was totally not whole, and the furthest thing from it. I went a whole year talking about the year before the year. So the fact that Zion and and, and Bi can't like be available on a Tuesday night, I, I, I could care less. That's still they still present their own little unique challenge. Um, and uh, yeah, that, I'm not 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 overly focused on that. Um, but you also had Milwaukee and Philly right around the corner. It's a three games and four nights scenario. It's a back to back scenario. It was a Western Conference opponent in New Orleans on Tuesday night, as opposed to the two Eastern foes that await you on Wednesday and Saturday. So you never know how things can kind of become unraveled, right? So you lose that game against Oklahoma City. If you lose against New Orleans on the road which was a small little spread, right? It's like now you're on a little two-game losing streak looking at the Milwaukee Bucks and the Philadelphia 76ers. Oh, and by the way, when you come home, you got the Pelicans again followed by the Golden State Warriors who are getting healthy. So you just never know like the sequence of how things could fall and the dominoes um, that could be represented with a win or a loss. And um, yeah, so for that reason, I thought it was an important low-key W. Okay, before we get out of here, I want to talk about the idea um, that is being tossed uh, and bandied about. That is trading Bones Highland. The Nuggets have an important decision to make. The Nuggets don't need to make a trade. They don't need to. They're the number one team in the West. They've looked great. They've now won, you know, 15 of their last 16 at home. They've won now uh, 10 of their last 11. They extrapolated even further to early December. You're talking about like, 20 of their last 24. I mean, they are really rolling, right? On December 8th, they go into Portland riding a three-game losing streak to Atlanta, New Orleans, and Dallas. And they were 14-10. and 10. Since then, <laughs> they were four, four games over 500. That was early December. Now they're 20 games over 500. So they don't need to make a trade. But the thing with Bowens Highland, it's a little bit tricky. He's a really good young player. He's uh, averaging, you know, double figures again. This guy was on the second team all-rookie. 
a year ago. First all-rookie nugget since Jamal Murray back half a decade ago. He's had nights where he like almost single-handedly propels you to a win, especially at home. Bones is shooting like 6% of percentage points better at home from three than he is on the road. That's a, that's a significant swing. Everyone seems to like Bones. Even like former players, you hear about John ja Morant and or, or not former, but current John ja Morant and former you know all world player Kevin Garnett like have reached out. Love Bones. Everyone loves Bones. But if you're going to make a trade to truly shake things up and put yourself in the best possible position to win a championship, and I'm not saying Bones a trade for Bones would represent that. I'm just having the conversation. Bones is really the only qualified candidate on this roster to get changed that would yield you something that could try to get you over the finish line. And it may be the wrong move. And that's, for, that's, that's a decision for Calvin Booth, who we are told has shown a propensity behind the scenes to make ruthless decisions. What could that be? I don't know. He hasn't been the general manager for that long. What, what, would, what, what was Josh Kroenke citing when he said that? Don't know, but he did say it. So I put that in my back pocket. This is the closest this organization has ever been to a championship. Do you disrupt that? And then, you know, the question really at its core We've talked about this on the radio show. Uh, People have talked about it all around town. Is because you are this close to a championship, does the team's arc, does the team's arc match the arc of Bones the player? And you could formulate an argument that it doesn't. You could formulate an argument that it does. A lot of championship teams have a a shot of a young talent. I don't know why Tayshawn Prince is coming to mind with that Pistons team that was at grizzled veterans, and but there was like an injection of youth, right? Um, 2004-ish, 2003 maybe. Um, I forget. But so it's one of these things where it's like it's tricky. There is no right answer. There is no right answer. But I wonder if Bones had a vote, what would he vote? And we have this incident from this past week that was sort of kind of reported on, sort of not. He looked frustrated in the game against Oklahoma City, and uh, why wouldn't he? It was one of the worst games that he's had. Uh, he was 0 for 4 from the field, 0 for 2 from 3, finished with zero points. It's now been like, I don't know, feels like two weeks that Bones has hit double figures. He's at a low point. He's posted on social media sort of cryptic things about keeping his head up. Um, and then you have this incident on Sunday where he walks off the floor, goes back in the locker room, and um, no one can find him after the game. It looked like that no other medical people, trainer, whatever, went with him. So there is a scenario where Bones literally took himself out of the game, took himself out of the arena, and just left. I don't exactly know uh, verbatim to speak on it with great conviction, but when you add it up and what people did see and also didn't see, um, it makes sense that, that he's a young, frustrated player. And he might be frustrated with his role here in Denver. If he was part of another scenario, a you know Oklahoma City or a you know Charlotte or Washington or fill in the blank, I don't know. He'd probably play a ton. Here he's playing less than twenty minutes a game. It's it's a fair question anyway to ask. Um, if he had a vote, what would he vote for? And the last thing that you would ever want in a title window is an ingrate. And I don't know what the dynamics are behind the scenes, okay? I've had nothing but positive, you know, vibes around Bones. This is sort of a new kind of window that we're in. So I don't know what Calvin Booth's going to do. Do you trade him for more size? Nas Reed's name gets thrown around. Mason Plumlee, um, 
You know, Nerlens Noel, I, I don't know. I don't know. I think I'd be okay with just hanging tight, though, and and riding this out. This is this feels like the closest they've been. Make sure from a personality and a human standpoint that you can get on the same page with them, and if you can, I'd be okay with riding it out. But there's something to be said for the perfect fit. What is the perfect fit? I don't know. I don't know. But I don't want to talk myself into doing something too hasty either, you know, rolling the dice on something that um, – it doesn't feel certain. But can you even find that scenario? What does certainty mean at the trade deadline? <laughs> Probably not much. So this is something that we're going to continue to track here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. The trade deadline is February 11th. We'll see how the Nuggets operate. And we'll see how they do uh, tonight in Milwaukee. And then they turn around and they have a marquee game on Saturday against the Philadelphia 76ers, which should be a really fun contest It's 1 o'clock in the afternoon here locally, Mountain Time, on ABC. And then turn around on Tuesday, you're back on TNT at home against the New Orleans Pelicans. All right, guys, we'll leave it there for now, guys. Please, um, best way you can support this thing, give it five stars. Whatever platform you're listening to, tell a friend. That's the best way to grassroots organically grow the Mile High Hoops podcast. And I appreciate you being here. And I appreciate Superbook Sports for sponsoring this thing. Okay, have a great day or two. We'll be back to check in because whatever happens against uh, Milwaukee, All right, you know we're going to be talking about it right here on the Mile High Hoops podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.